first semester is what I did. Um, also, getting the benefit of Lighting Moon. And, and during that one semester, this group of students um, standing outside the windows where the buses come um, and have this, this free hug sign in English. Not only is it weird to see people with free hugs, that's a weird concept. Uh, but it's also in English. Um, Brazilians are very touchy feely anyway, so they're like all about it. But it was, you know, it was in English, and so they, you know, there comes Bruno. Um, and Bruno meets um, one of the guys there, and he begins to talk with him. So that semester ends, and another group of hands-on students come. And he continues to meet with Chris and this new group of hands-on. And that group of hands-on students leaves, and another group comes. And another group comes until um, my group came. Um, so that's still two, three years um, where Bruno is being discipled and by all these different students who have um, got the benefit and, and the, uh, the wealth of Wai Moon. Um, so those different seeds uh, are being planted not only with Bruno but with other students. Um, and, Chris and Chris is there sort of helping along, um, but really with hands-on students, it's really about just like throwing us into the wild, so to speak. <laughs> and so, so Bruno is there, and, and when I was there, Bruno um, was safe. And it was a really awesome thing. Gabby was there too, to sort of help along. Gabby uh, and Bruno were just friends at the time. Um, but, during that semester, Gabby, um, Walter, and I weren't the ones discipling Bruno. It was Brazilian students who were discipling um, this other Brazilian student. And it was really awesome because after we left, they began to continue to disciple him. He began to disciple other people. And now, uh, five years later, uh, Gabby and uh, Bruno are married and they're um, witnesses to Bruno's family. Um, and it's just an incredible story to see that, uh, it's probably been 10 years since the first group of Hanson students uh, who benefited from Lion Moon, that first seed was planted, to now, to where they're planting seeds, um, to where they've come back to the United States and continue to plant seeds. So it's just a huge thing that you guys are doing. So props to the $50 that we already have. Huge uh, way to go to get to $9,000. This means so much to me, guys. So I'm going to stop for Adam Glover, guys. So, 9,000 are on our way. All right. Well, let's, let's, continue. let's continue our worship service by standing. We're going to sing, We'll Understand It Better by and by.
When are you going, are you going to be seven? seven? Twenty-four. So y'all be, y'all be in prayer for him. I tell you what, he's just growing up on me. And uh, me and Debbie, and, and we've had a good time with him. We got to spend our birthday uh, time together this weekend. So uh, with this young man. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Father, I just want to thank you for having this, having this time to be able to uh, worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I Lord, thank you for all that's here and those that are listening. listening. And I just pray, I just pray that you will just bless this time and continue to bless us in a very special way. And Lord, and Lord anoint this service in a very special way. And may we see your spirit work as... Never We've never seen him work, him work before, Lord. I pray that we'll sit, sit, feel it in our hearts, sense it in our lives, and see it through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we, uh, before we get started, just a couple of minutes. Before we continue in worship, uh, just a couple more announcements. We have our Thanksgiving meal on Tuesday before Thanksgiving at 6 o'clock. There's a sign-up sheet and back. The 24th. 24th. Thank you. Uh, that is the 24th, so that's Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Um, and let's go ahead and continue. Also, if you picked up a box in the back, the shoe boxes, please return it by the 16th. 15th. 15th. Sorry. Next Sunday. Next Sunday. All right, let's stand and sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God.
I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22 as we look at verses 15 through 22. Now we're going to be looking at some more maneuvers from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and now this week the Herodians, they're involved and they're trying to uh, entrap Jesus and we're going to look at three entrapments that they uh, try to apply to Jesus and during this message. And so, uh, once again, I'd like for us to go to the Lord in prayer before we look at this passage uh, in more in-depth. Father, I just want to thank you for this time once again. But Lord, I ask for your grace and its sufficiency to open our eyes to your truth. May we see things that uh, hopefully we need to see today. And we can't do this, we know, without your help. And so we just ask for your grace to do this, for you to open our eyes. And I pray that our words, uh, your words, will take effect in our lives. And, and God, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit will, uh, you know, use this to, uh, to lead us, to encourage us in our walk with you, to, to teach us, to um, direct us, to challenge us and also to convict us where conviction is needed. So God, um, we just want you to be glorified, and we know that this cannot happen without our hearts, our minds, our souls being turned over to you and wholly uh, worshiping you in spirit and in truth and allowing you to do what needs to be done. So may this happen this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, during this time of the year, one interesting uh, event that happens is what? Election. And it's not just the president, it's a lot of people that, uh, you know, are rotating uh, off uh, or they're rotating in their uh, term and some of them are wanting to be reelected. But one thing that's interesting about all of this is the media and their questions and a lot of times the media will ask questions to put the representative or the senator or, or the president or the president to elect on the spot it just depends on what they're wanting to do and so it may be some issue that they've uh, you know implemented or or some comment that they made and they'll try to word it to the point where you know, they, they have to be very careful about what they say because they can be entrapped in 
in uh, saying something that may look uh, wrong and may not look like uh, what they stand for or what they said. And uh, it's, um, you know, it's amazing how a lot of these politicians will do. What will they do? They'll deflect the uh, question, won't they? And they'll go off in another direction, talking about something else, to avoid it if necessary, if they don't want to answer correctly. But you know, we're kind of raised that way as fallen human beings, aren't we? If you'll remember growing up, when your parents confronted you about something of, very, of, of importance and maybe something that you did wrong, what would you do a lot of times? You had a choice, one thing, admitting it and being truthful or deflecting it and start talking about something else. Now, they always knew. It seemed like they had eyes in the back of their head, you know, and they knew what was going on. So they would always bring the conversation back around and say, that's not what I was talking about. This is what I ask you. Yes or no? Hmm. You knew you were in trouble. Well, this is similar to what is happening with these three religious groups that are coming before Jesus, except Jesus is not trying to avoid the question by, you know, uh, deflecting it in some other way. He answers their questions, and they're amazed at it. And so we're going to be looking at this. The three groups of religious leaders that in, in uh, approached Jesus they had a motive behind what they were doing and that was to entrap him uh, you know and they wanted him to look foolish one thing before his following because he had a great following at this time you remember he's, he's in Jerusalem at this time right before the cross uh, as he's going to uh, the ultimate climax of his life where he, he goes to the cross and he dies for our sins and being buried and raised again but these people are still following him at this time, and so he's got a great following, and these religious leaders don't particularly care for that because it's pulling them over to Jesus away from them. And it's also Jesus has made them to look like sinners that are in need of salvation, which they are, and they did not like that. And then another reason that he's doing this is because they, uh, they knew that if he could answer the wrong way, they could get him to answer the wrong way, what would that do? Well, you know, the Herodians are there, and then they're in good contact and, and good relationship with the Romans. They're kind of their puppet area, you know, I'm, I mean, the puppets for the Romans. And so this could be an insurrection. And so in turn, we see that, uh, you know, they're trying to put him between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. So the Pharisees, though, are the main instigators. They have been the main instigators throughout because they are the religious leaders. Jesus has been teaching the truth, and it has opposed what they have been doing as far as when they were wrong and showing before the people their motives, uh, which were and have been wrong in, in many cases. And so... Uh, they did not like Jesus, and, and they were also being made a fool of in the sense of the way that they were trying to entrap Jesus in the past and make him look bad. It made them look bad. And so 
the Pharisees, it says, Then the Pharisees went and counseled together how they might trap Jesus in what he did. In Matthew 22, verse 15. The word trap there means ensnare. Ensnare. And so it's a picture of a hunter who would set a snare and wait for an animal to step in to it and be trapped. Now the snare here though with Jesus that they're using is his own teaching, what he has taught. They knew that he had taught on the resurrection and other things and so they were after him trying to get him uh, ensnared, if you will, trapped, if you will, uh, by what he, what he had said in the past. So the Pharisees started with a, a very intricate question, very important question. And this question was so intricate that it prompted a radical answer from Jesus. And so uh, this question dealt with the sensitivity, that, uh, that sensitive nerve, if you will, that was among Jewish people, and that was what? Taxes. Now, that's still sensitive today, isn't it? I mean, that's a sensitive nerve. As adults, we know that taxes are of major importance, even though we may not like it in any developed society. Unfortunately, without them, our government couldn't function, it seems like. So there is a need there. But having said that, though, we know that taxes are also a point of contention. And it's a, con a point of contention for many citizens because they have to pay them. Now you say, well, if it's necessary, yes, but often the taxes seem too high. Very overburdening. You know, and, and so... Uh, you wonder too when you're taxed so much and they tell you that we need them, why after being taxed it doesn't take care of the problem? It seems like the taxes are not being spent wisely many times. So as we see the difficulty today, the same was with these during that day and time, especially the Jewish people. They were being taxed by the Romans, and it was a big burden on them. And this was a very contentious uh, question and, and uh, subject to deal with among themselves because the Roman rule was so oppressive on them and with them. So the first attempt to ensnare Jesus is uh, in verses 15 through 22. It was Wednesday, a Passover week, and Jesus was teaching in the temple. You know what had previously happened. He had cleansed the temple the day before, and he had just gotten through also with the parables. You remember the parables? They were explaining their, uh, the judgment that was on the unbelieving Israel, and especially on the temple rulers. And so it, it just... It, you know, irritated them even more so to be placed in that light. So, uh, uh, you know, here we see the Israelites, the rulers, 
challenging Jesus' authority once again. And it says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said, and they sent their disciples to him. They didn't go personally. I think this is very important. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. The Pharisees had always been Jesus' most venomous enemy because of them and their relationship to God. It wasn't what it ought to be. And he was representing God, and, and so it revealed their sinfulness, and they hated that even more so. But also, they know and they knew, they were very cunning, that Jesus had backed them in a corner. He knew who they were, so maybe we can send some of our disciples that, that look pleasant, that maybe are younger, that, that can come in and, and, and not be, you know, uh, accepted and... Uh, with that uh, alertness and, and they won't be as offensive and they can catch Jesus off guard. And so they sent these disciples and uh, also we see that uh, with uh, these that were sent, we see the Herodians as partners with them against Christ. Now usually the Pharisees and the Herodians were not together. The Herodians, of course, with, under Herod, uh, were the political aspect of it. And they did not like what they were doing a lot of times. And then, and how they related to the Roman rule and worked with the Romans. And so uh, they, uh, but they, they come together, and it's amazing how different groups that are so opposed to one another will come together under a common allegiance. One that they don't particularly like and they're opposing and this was the case with Jesus and so uh, they were a branch yes of the Pharisees but they were uh, you know politically loyal to Herod's dynasty and the poll tax question demonstrated their desire for the Romans uh, to be against Jesus as well so it showed that, hey, you know, Romans didn't care for his following and they didn't care too much for him either. And so the Romans had, uh, you know, uh, also a fair, uh, a, they were in good relation with uh, the Herodian line and the loyalty was somewhat mutual there. So they all worked together. And so they supported the, uh, the dynasty of Herod at this time. So Herod the Edomite, was just a Roman puppet king. And so uh, in the religion here, one would find out that they probably, the Herodians probably leaned uh, more towards the Sadducees than really the Pharisees. And um, it seems opposition brought these all together, though. Now, the Herodians were influenced by one writer, uh, as being said as a royalist and that's a good description of them and the two groups came together saying teacher we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and do not care what anyone thinks now that sounds great you know they're playing up to him for you are not partial to anyone now I want to share with you something that's very important I mean I'm not 
I'm not going to chase a rabbit out here and get way off in, in left field or right field. But I want to tell you people, just because someone says that they're religious and they start playing up to Christianity, we better, as believers, always have our guards up. I don't care if it's another religion. I don't care if it's a political group. I don't care who it might be. We need to be very careful, just like Jesus was. And Jesus knew that they were playing up to them. And so, as they come, he knew that they were trying to ensnare him. And it was a loaded question. Was it lawful to give tribute to Caesar? And the question was loaded because it was a, an approach of deception. And it was full of flattery. And so that's when people get us off guard. They build us up to tear us down. And so calling Jesus teacher and not rabbi, they offered feigned respect by acknowledging that he was truthful and that he taught the way of God in truth. Now, the reason that it was feigned was because that they had really, if they had really believed this, then they wouldn't even be approaching him, would they? To try and get him off guard, catch him off guard. They approached him in malice, flattered him, and tried to ensnare him. And Jesus tells them this. And so the question in of, in, in of uh, and of itself was not necessarily wrong because the Pharisees debated over this uh, issue of taxes. Should we pay it to the, uh, you know, the Romans? Do we have to pay it? Does the Bible teach that? But here the religious leaders ask it not for information's sake, in trying to find the correct answer, but as a loaded question. They knew the people's resentment towards, uh, you know, taxes and the oppression that it, it had on them and the unfair treatment by the tax collectors. They knew this. In other words, they, these people devised a snare here that seemed full, foolproof. In other words, they didn't think that anyone would be able to answer it without putting themselves in one category or the next. And if Jesus said the Jews should pay taxes, what would happen? The people would turn against him. Now, if he said that, uh, uh, the, you know, not to pay taxes, what would happen? There would be uh, Romans uh, coming after him for insurrection. So he says... They said to him, tell us then, what do you think? Is it permissible to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Jesus, he didn't fall into their trap. He wasn't deceived by their flattery. He was going to answer it upright. He wasn't going to deflect it and go off in another way. And so what he does, he didn't pretend to, uh, you know, uh, 
to know nothing or, or to know about something else that was greater or even just say things that uh, didn't even relate to it. I remember when I was uh, in school out in Texas, uh, one of the professors had us teach different parts of, of uh, a chapter. And he said, I, I, I want y'all to have this experience. Whether you go in teaching or not, you'll be preachers. And uh, uh, we said, I remember asking him, I said, well, you know, I don't know anything about that subject. That's why I'm in here, learning it. And he said, just talk like you do. And so, you know, Jesus didn't just talk like he did. No, he told them the answer. And it says, but Jesus perceived their malice and said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? That malice, the evil intent. And instead of being deceived, Jesus confronted them head on. He didn't try to uh, be politically correct. He hit them straight up front. And he was not about to play their coy games. He confronted them head on by saying, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? And so he shifted the focus back on them for a purpose, though, before he answered the question. And that is, look at your own heart. We can be so judgmental. We can be people that are so critical of others. Look at your own heart. Examine yourselves before you go around trying to put other people in the spot and criticizing them. Make sure your motives are correct. There's nothing wrong in, in approaching a brother in Christ as we've looked at in, in Matthew about sin and, and dealing with them properly in a church. There's nothing wrong in that because your heart goes out to them and you want them corrected. You see them going down the wrong path. That is fine. But if you're just doing it out of ritual and you say, well, we've got to do this. This is what the church says. You know, this is in the Constitution bylaw. Then you're, you're uh, open for going down it the wrong way. And if you go to the person with that kind of attitude, you're more apt to have an attitude of legalism or legalism, and you go to them and you talk to them as though they're the sinner, they're only the sinner, and they're the ones who are uh, out of fellowship with God, and you haven't even examined your own heart, and you don't go to them in humility. And this is exactly, these people had never examined their own hearts, allowed the Spirit of God to examine their own hearts the way that God would have them to see them, see themselves. And so Jesus Shifted this uh, focus, and he said, show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And it was a coin used for paying government, Roman government uh, tax. And so, uh, you know, this is not the temple tax. This is the Roman tax. And so he used the coin to illustrate the point. The image on the coin had who? Caesar. And so... On the other side, it had other government emblems on it, just like our coins do. And as he approached this, he showed them, he said to them, 
whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Jesus answered the question by pointing to the responsibility towards human government. Obedience and payment of what was due. You can go to Romans chapter 13. Paul talks about the same thing. But also he added something that was very important. The responsibility of giving to God what was due him. Then he said to them, then pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. The things that are God's. So rendering to those that are Caesar's, Caesar's, but to God's, God's. Well, does that put them on the same level? No. Do we ever have a right to disobey government? Yes. Those who govern the state, they have a constitutional uh, right to demand certain things. And as long as they're within the realm of not contradicting with the, uh, the word of God and God and what he teaches, then that's fine. But and to God, the things are God. This is the other responsibility. There is a higher than government responsibility, and that is to God. There is a responsibility to give to God what is due to Him. Now, this duty transcends civil duty. We are to pay our taxes and obey the law if doing so does not conflict with our obedience and loyalty to God. Did you hear me? Pay what we should pay. Obey what we should obey. Obey. Until, and hopefully it won't, it comes to the point where it's a conflict with our obedience and loyalty to God. Well, we may be locked up for doing that. Well, what did Jesus teach about discipleship? He said we're not going to be accepted and loved by everybody and that we would be persecuted. So if it ever comes to that, then we will be persecuted. When the royalists heard these words and hearing this, they were amazed. They, they couldn't refute him. They couldn't say anything. And they left him and went away. So uh, the Herodians departed having detected nothing treasonable, and the Pharisees retreated, having detected nothing unpatriotic in his teaching. Second attempt, in verses 23 through 33, Jesus, still being in the temple court, was approached by the Sadducees. Now these would be, as one author said, the rationalists. And they challenged the authority of Christ. And the Sadducees were more liberal and more rationalistic uh, in their approach to religious things than the other religious groups. They recognized, they did recognize the Pentateuch. What is the Pentateuch? Well, uh, you know, as divine scripture, it's the books of Moses. And they, they considered Moses the 
lawgiver, the one to go to, no one above him except, of course, God. And so they didn't, though, verbally recognize, I mean, or they didn't recognize and verbally endorse other scripture. They also openly denied the value of oral tradition. So this group did not believe in the supernatural, especially when it came to what? The resurrection. And this is what they're going to attack Jesus on. Now, most of the Jews believed in the resurrection, but the Sadducees, sad to say, did not. They were materialistic, more relational to the Romans, legalistic, believing in the severe exercise of the judicial system. And they were wealthy, they were aristocratic, uh, powerful, and they were you know, considered a religious group. So they were liberal in their religion and politics. But they were fearful of this Galilean peasant with his ragtag followers. And they, you know, thought, why were they fearful? They thought that something might happen with this following that would cause problems with the Roman government, which would cause problems between their relationship with them. The best thing they could do was to discredit Jesus. They decided to approach Jesus with a theological argument. On that day, some Sadducees, who, you know, and, and who don't believe in the resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother, as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Well, that's true, Deuteronomy. Now there were seven brothers among us, hypothetical situation. And the first married and died, and having no children, he left his wife to his brother. It was the same also with the second brother, and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her in marriage. Now, they told a story to begin with that's kind of folly in, in their uh, belief of the bodily resurrection. In other words, uh, they, they didn't understand this. They didn't believe in it, really. And so uh, they believed that their hypothetical situation, though, would put Jesus on the spot. Because why? Because he had been teaching and even raised people. And he believed in the resurrection. Sadducees made reference to Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6. And Moses, who they thought was the highest there was, no one higher than him on earth. So the law gives a man the option to marry his brother's widow to provide her with a child. But this situation was really exaggerated. And so they did it for a purpose, I believe. And their future, or their failure and lack of knowledge was assuming that the marital state would continue beyond this life. And Jesus lets us know that it does not. Now, does it mean that we won't know each other? Does it mean that we won't love each other? Does it mean that we won't uh, be close to each other in, in heaven? No, it, it, I'm not saying it doesn't mean any of that, or, or it, it doesn't mean that you won't. 
it means that you will but you'll love each other you'll be close to each other your relationships will be so that they will be uninhibited and unhindered by sin today and in a unique and wonderful way a way that we could never imagine that God intended for us to be we'll still live we'll still love one another we'll still be close to one another we'll have wonderful relationships but with this the very there's a very important thing about this that needs to be recognized Jesus answered and said to them you're mistaken in other words the word mistaken means wandered off to go astray from the truth you're not understanding the truth in other words since you do not understand the scriptures they did not recognize in other words the authority of the scriptures only there nothing else they didn't recognize it was from God they were putting more authority in Moses than they were with God nor the power of God their view of God was too small and weak and I want us to just stop here for a moment people that can happen to us very easily you may not believe it but our God can be way too small this is why we need to start praising God we need to start thanking God we need to start having a relationship with God understanding that he's sovereign that he's one in control every day of our life getting up that day and thanking him and praising him for who he is that he's created this world he's created us we're not the creator God is the creator we're just the creatures and he's got a wonderful life for us if we will just submit to that so their their picture of him was way too small and way too weak and so he goes on to show them how they erred concerning the resurrection for in the resurrection they neither neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven but regarding the resurrection of the dead have you not read what was spoken to you by God in other words hey read the scripture study it all now the most obvious reason for the comparison with the angels is, is that the Sadducees denied their existence in any form you look over in Acts 23 you know that verse 8 to be like the angels does not require being of the same essence we will have our bodies but they will be a resurrected body we'll never die again never grow sick never hurt never pain like we uh, do here on earth with these old bodies that are growing old and dying angels and and this is one of the key things angels are totally and exclusively and I, I I believe that this is what Jesus was really emphasizing here dedicated to God and in the resurrection glorified human beings will also be totally and exclusively dedicated to God these unfallen angels that's how we're going to be like that I think that was the main type of reference that he was referencing there oh yes that that you know there will be no need for marriage in heaven but there will still be a love and a relationship there no human relationship though will impede one's unqualified intimacy with Christ so one's love with other human beings sure it will not be depleted 
But the only marriage relationship will be with God in his pure form. So Jesus, knowing Sadducees, acknowledged only the Pentateuch as authoritative scripture. And he challenged them concerning their failure to know of the Pentateuch's assumption of and teaching of the resurrection. He goes on, he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Look at this. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And the reference is from Exodus, where the burning bush, where God had spoken directly to Moses. In Luke 20, 37, we're told the same thing, doubting Sadducees. The dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live in him. First of all, he said, I am, declaring who God was. And that tense is what? It's a tense that's of present tense. Implying what? Implying that God is still the God of those patriarchs. Why? How? Because they're still alive in him. They're still alive in him. And they will ultimately share in the resurrection of the righteous. But also God is a God who gave the promises to these patriarchs. And the patriarchs, did they receive the land that was theirs, that had been promised them in their lifetime? No, not all of it, did they? Not all of it. But during the millennial, they will. So what did that tell us? They must be resurrected in order to receive God's promises in the future. And the response to the crowd, they knew what he was talking about because they, they said when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. They said, oh, wow. Yeah, we catch it. We get it. And then there's a third attempt. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced Sadducees, they gathered together for another attempt to discredit him and condemn him. This time, though, they sent a lawyer. Here, the lawyer was to be a cut above everybody else. Not only in the law and knowing it, but, uh, you know, that people looked up to them as honest and, and humble. But evidently, he was not because he is being played by and being allowed to be played by the Pharisees to discredit Jesus. Teacher, which is a great uh, commandment in the law. There it is, teacher again, not rabbi. You see that? Which indicated recognition of his skill in teaching and presence of the following, but he's not like, he's not qualified as a rabbi. So it was a little slant there. He said, which is greater? And the question attempted to lead Jesus to choose the favorite or the most important law there was. And this is a good question because, hey, how many laws did they have that they made up? 613 separate laws divided in two sections. The affirmative, 248. The negative, 365. Boy, I tell you what, that's a lot of laws to keep, isn't it? And so they came to him with this. And he said to them, You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Look at the word mind there. This is a great and foremost commandment. The second is like this. But 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. In other words, it's not just the Pentateuch that's uh, inspired. It's all of it, all the word of God. And so Jesus answered with no apparent hesitation here. The greatest is found in Deuteronomy. And uh, it places one attitude, what? Towards God to begin with as the most important commandment. He substituted, though, might for mine here. Or he, uh, he, he substituted might for mine to make a point. And uh, the reason being is he placed mind in, in, other, in, in other words there. And the, the reason being is, is Jesus knew that the Jews were zealous. And they were zealous religious people. Zealous about their religious life, pursued God with great fervor. Romans 10, uh, Paul talks about this in verses 1 and 2. Jesus noted their zeal, but he noticed it as being misguided. That's why he substituted the word there. Mine. The religious zeal is not a substitute for correct theology. If you're going to be on fire for the Lord, and if you're going to serve God, then your heart needs to be changed, and your mind needs to be focused towards God. You see, you can, you can be involved in a lot of things. You can be involved in a lot of activities, which are good and nothing wrong with them. But a cure for all is to have a zeal that leads you to do that. And they did not have that. And he added a second commandment referring to Leviticus 19. And it is to love your neighbor. And so here we see the agape love is not an emotion, but a command and a commitment to, to give what others need. And to First of all, give what God needs, his glory and honor to him. And the purpose and intent of all the commandments is fulfilled in keeping these two. So everything else in the Old Testament that God required believers hung on these two commandments. That's what he's saying. If believers loved perfectly, there would be no need for the law. Do you know? Look at our society today. Look at anybody's society in any country. The perfect love that people want for one another is trying to be sought out and they're trying to do it by eliminating this or doing that and, and it's always changing. But what are they leaving out? The perfect love for God. Oh, it's great to love one another. But as unbelievers, they don't include in there the love for God. And you can't love one another properly without first loving God. With all your heart, with all your mind. Otherwise, you will take advantage eventually of other people. And you will always try to manipulate that love to the point where you want it to be. That's why we need a Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can cure that. He's the only one that can lead us in the right path. Will there ever be a perfect love this side of heaven? 
The perfect love is in Jesus. And we'll always be seeking that. And improving upon our life by yielding to it. But it won't be reached this side of heaven. But does that mean that we shouldn't still strive? He commands us to love, doesn't he? And that love can only come about by loving him. With all of our heart and with all of our mind. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for your love for us. It's a perfect love. And God, we won't always be loving perfectly, but we can be seeking that out in our lives and in the life of the church if we seek you out in our hearts and demonstrate it in our life and yield our lives to you, allowing you to show us. Will it always be easy? No. But you can help us. You can empower us. You can grace us with your grace. Where we can't love someone, you can love that person through us. So God, I thank you for that. But loving one another without loving you will always be changing and it will never be perfect. Help us to help lost individuals understand that and see that by our lifestyle by loving them by loving one another because we first love you and Lord help us to share with others about where that love begins and that is with Jesus Christ and the only way that it can begin is for us to see that we're imperfect individuals, that we're sinners, and that we're in need of a Savior. And that Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised again to make this possible. God, help us to share that good news with others. And help us to be faithful in doing it. Never getting, getting discouraged and giving up, but continuing on allowing you to do a mighty work through us as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. God's dealing with your heart and your soul. Won't you come today? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the Any announcements to be made? I know that uh, Thanksgiving meal, Tuesday, right before Thanksgiving. Uh, any, do what? Yeah. Uh, what, what day was that? Today? Okay, Mashburn. Y'all uh, know about that, don't you? About to get together. It's not a secret. They know too, so. Uh, they'll, they'll be down there from 4 to 5.30. 4 to 5.30, so. Uh, come by, uh, see them, and 
enjoy the time. And then we have a business meeting on Wednesday night, 6.30. Um, we will be able to have it over the phone, um, but I don't think we'll be able to have you speak if you're on the phone, but we will be able to at least have you listen in uh, yeah. over the phone. Okay. For a business meeting at 6.30. Otherwise, you can be here. Yeah. And we will be distant and all, you know, all the necessary and, precautions. And any questions over the phone, uh, if you'll just help us, I know uh, Daniel can see it, but uh, identifying yourself when you ask the question. Okay, any other comments, announcements? Okay, if not, let's go away. Should we go away rejoicing? Let's go away rejoicing. Amen, in the Lord. Our Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy Stretched off. Nothing is too difficult for the 